Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. The studies show it's true you're delaying the academics a little bit by focusing on the English, but you can catch up the academics. But if you, if you don't learn English properly, you, you, you could be doomed forever. Honestly, coming into this session, probably like a lot of people in Arizona, we were all wondering what is going to happen with this divided government. Um, I know I did. Um, and so, you know, I was curious how it's, how it's going to go. But I will say I, I feel like we we did very, very well. You can't just pass the ordinance. You then need to follow through. The city has to be committed to actually getting these new dwelling units, accessory dwelling units, permitted uh, so that they can be built. It comes down to a real simple principle. Every Arizonan should have the right to vote on judges that, that affect them. And the current system doesn't allow that. Every single time that we receive something in writing, it goes into their voter file. So anything, anything that has a signature on it, it is another indication, another touch point, another opportunity to update what those signatures look like. And with me to talk about state school superintendent Tom Horton filing a lawsuit challenging dual language programs, the failure of a recall effort against a state senator and more, are Dawn Penich-Thacker of Agave Strategy. Good morning, Dawn. Good morning. And former state superintendent of public instruction Jaime Molera, now with the firm Molera Alvarez. Hey, Jaime. Good morning. So not a surprise. I'll start with you on this. Let's start with, <laughs> with the uh, the dual language lawsuit. This is not a surprise, right? I mean, Superintendent Horn said that this was coming. Um, he filed suit naming uh, the Creighton Elementary School District to uh, Governor Hobbs and Attorney General Mays. This is not a new topic. I mean, the voter approved law was passed in the early 2000s and was then changed by the state legislature. Uh, let me just sort of get your take. First off, what do you make of the fact that there is this lawsuit challenging these programs now? Well, first off, I want to thank you for bringing up the subject I talked about two decades ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man, everything old is new again. So, so let's talk about the the, the issue that's kind of um, a little bit hypocritical. I think you know Arizona has always been a choice state, and there's a lot of arguments about that. But by and large, you know, we've pushed for policies that allow parents to select schools that. Um, fit their educational needs. And I think it's, I for one, have been a part of that. I've been helped promote that. But when it comes to kids that are learning English, um, you know, Superintendent Horn has always had the opinion, I know better than you, and I'm going to dictate exactly how it needs to be done. Now, it is true that the the state law requires that because it was um, a voter initiative that was passed where over 60% of voters Mm -hmm. at the time put that in place. But there have been modifications to it. Even Governor Ducey, led the charge that a lot of these things weren't working. And so we had to modify it in a way that makes sense. So now uh, Tom Horn gets reelected. He comes back into that position. And I think he feels like, while it worked for him the first time, he's going to work for him again. And so he's doubling down on this uh, on this policy. Don, it's an interesting uh, legal, I mean, take the educational aspect out of it for just a moment. But legally speaking, 
according to the state constitution, the legislature cannot change a voter-approved initiative unless it is furthering the purpose. And as Horn points out, the initiative says students will be taught in English classrooms, whereas the legislature allowed the State Board of Education to come up with other models, including this 50-50 sort of dual language. So legally, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, we're not lawyers in this room, but legally it would seem as though Horn at least has a point there, right? Yeah, it does seem like there's going to be some real questions for the attorney general, the governor, and and the courts to try to figure out. Um, But, you know, to their credit, Creighton School District, which is the one-name school district in this suit, has said, you know, look, 2019, unanimous support and approval. Um, This is the program that we're operating in based on the most recent law. And we see this in all kinds of areas in Arizona law where something life changes, the world evolves, and so we update what we mean or how we interpret something. And so this will move forward, but Creighton, to their credit, has said, we understand that we are playing by the rules that were established in 2019, and most importantly, our community and our parents want these dual language programs. And if this is a choice state, then we need to be able to, and we intend to continue giving our parents and students the choices that they want. So Tom Horn said that there are a number of districts that, that are doing this. Creighton is not the only one. He, he was quoted as saying that he picked Creighton basically randomly. I mean, I don't want to get into, like, other people's motivations. We're not inside his head. But any significance to the fact that this is the district that was named in the lawsuit, Jaime? Well, it's a heavy minority population. Um, Mesa Public Schools probably has the largest uh, dual language programs, but... Uh, politically, it probably wouldn't it would be smart for him to attack Mesa Public Schools. So it, it's just unfortunate. The thing that, that really bugs me the most about all this, candidly, is that his encouragement of actual lawsuits against teachers, that, I mean, that under the law, the teachers can be sued personally because of their adherence to what they think is uh, good education policy or policies that the district allows. And now the Arizona legislature has allowed that. So... I just this notion of going after teachers, going after families, it just it's it's not what I think our state's about. And hopefully we can find some resolutions to move past this and get these kids in in situations where they do learn English. They have to. I mean, in order for them to be successful, there's no doubt about it. But I just think this is more political theater than actual good public policy. Well, I mean, how do you see it playing out? Because as Don pointed out, the legislature unanimously approved a law allowing the State Board of Ed to come up with new models because the research had shown that structured English immersion was not as helpful to students. So the districts are following the law, right? The, The legislature passed this. The governor signed it. The State Board of Ed implemented it. So I'm curious how you see it playing out in terms of Superintendent Horn saying, well, this is what the initiative says, and the school saying, right, but we're following what the lawmakers of the state are telling us we can do? Well, just like a lot of things, it's going to be up to the courts to decide what is actually the pathway that uh, school districts can and charter schools can follow in order to adhere to the law. So with the legislature making these modifications in 2019, any law cannot be done unless it it furthers the intent of the initiative. Mm Uh, Most people felt at the time that it did further the intent. Even the most ardent Republicans in the legislature agreed that, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. So I think that will impact the court's decision, showing the the testimony, all of the information that went into the passage of that law. So I think ultimately the courts are going to have to decide. Don, does this become a galvanizing issue for the education community? I mean, could this be 
I, I hate to compare one thing to another because it's apples and oranges, but like, could this be another like kind of red for Ed moment for for some segment of the education community? For some segment. And as we kind of mentioned earlier, this is a long continuing conversation here in Arizona. So so it's not new, but it's particularly I mean, I'm going to use the word craven um, that that it's coming up again at this time. It's purely politics. Um, and I think the question will be, was the intent of the proposition, the voter approved proposition, was the intent for students to learn English and move on to be successful? If so, then dual language programs are what are getting us there. And the different options that school districts can employ and the different ways that parents can opt in and out of what works best for their child. So if the intent was students learning English and being successful, then I think that these programs are going to show that this is the way to go because the reason there was such unanimous support for this under Governor Ducey and a Republican legislature is because English immersion wasn't just not helping enough kids, it is an abject failure. Our success rates from English immersion are literally in the single digits, whereas dual language is globally recognized as the way to teach. So you both have invoked politics uh, in talking about this issue. So I want to ask each of you if you think this will have a an impact. I mean, next year is an election year, not for Horn. Not, he was just elected last year, so he has a couple more years left on his term. But, Don, do you think this will be make a difference? Will this be an issue that voters are thinking about next year, do you think? You know, I think about this all the time, that he's, you know, we have so much longer to go with him, and he's already done so many things that have enraged the public education community, even, you know, private school voucher parents are mad. And so, yes, I think that all of these decisions that he makes that are very blatantly about punishing certain segments of the population and closing, you know, putting his head in the sand to allow other types of education policy, all of this is going to make him vulnerable. And I cannot wait for that day, frankly. I mean, do you think voters will be thinking about this next year? I do not. I do not. I, I think there's a, a lot of other issues, particularly with conservative Republicans. I mean, immigration is a big issue. And maybe I think uh, Tom is trying to couch it within that umbrella. Mm -hmm. But I just don't see this becoming uh, something that rises to the level of deciding whether or not who they're going to pick for their particular primary um, leaders. Okay. One other thing that uh, Superintendent Horn was in the news for this week was taking some COVID money, about $40 million worth, and setting up a, a tutoring program for students. Learning loss during the pandemic is, of course, a really, it's a real thing. It's a very huge problem here and elsewhere. I mean, was this the, the right move, do you think, to set up tutoring, even if it's for basically a fraction of the, of the students who are who are needing it? Well, it's unfortunate that it's taken so long to do this, for one. Um, I think this is something that should have been done over a year ago in trying to get these kids, because that is a real thing. You had a lot of students really fall behind mm -hmm. during the COVID yeah. period, and that's a real problem. But, um, you know, giving money for tutoring, of course, it's going to be helpful. Um, and I like the fact, too, that allowing teachers to make it a little bit more money, too. They're estimating between five and $8,000 that a teacher could earn, which I, th I think is fantastic. I, I don't... Uh, I don't um, disparage him at all for doing that. However, I said, why did it take until September of this year to get that going? I, it just seems nonsensical to me that this takes so long. It's a very slow bureaucratic process. Um, this should have been done first thing. Don, what do you think? Is this a, a good move? I mean, studies show that like one-on-one -on -one tutor, one-on-one -on -one instruction is usually helpful for students. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will withhold judgment entirely to see how exactly this gets worked out, how it works for the 
you know, teachers to get this opportunity, how they work out this. There is a testing kind of component to see if the tutoring is actually having an effect. And so I am all for teachers having more opportunities to make money right there at school um, without having to go and drive for Uber, which many have to do. Um, and I'm also all for greater academic support. Um, I think what we are going to want to pay attention to is whether it can actually be actualized and executed. Um, how is that money going to flow? And what is kind of being left out of this is that the organizations and programs that this money is being clawed away from also often, very often, have academic support, but they also do social and emotional support. And that, I believe, is, this is my speculation, that is what Superintendent Horn is going after, taking money away from these programs like Boys and Girls Clubs, who offer wraparound services, who do more than academics. Um, and he's pulling a bait and switch. Um, it, he's essentially punishing them for offering more than just academics in order to give it to districts and then say you can only do academics. Guys, let's start uh, this segment with uh, a recall effort that did not work against a state senator, Justine Wadsack. It didn't collect enough signatures. Don, was this a, a surprise to you? No. Um, collecting signatures is always hard work. It's especially hard work in the summer when people <laughs> either don't want to be standing outside or you know, are gone on vacation. But when it's a lower, you know, down ballot kind of position like that, many people don't know who their state legislators are. And so it's not as simple as say, simply saying, like, sign to legalize marijuana or sign to protect abortion. You have to sit there and explain who this person is and why you want to recall them. And that's just an extremely high, you know, challenge. So, Jaime, do we take any lessons from this failure? Does maybe Senator Wadsack have more support in her district than critics thought? Or is it mostly just a matter of it's really hard to recall somebody that's only been once in the state? I think it is really hard to recall somebody, regardless of who it is. And, and I think the level of uh, improprieties have to be pretty significant uh, for folks to have that attention and understand who that person is. A lot of times uh, when it is in the news, when things are out and they're more prominent, yeah, there, there's pathways and people have gotten recalled. But when it's below the radar and folks really don't know who that person is and what mm. they've done, it, it's it's pretty difficult. Now, it does not bode well for uh, her opponent, uh, former state senator Vince Leach, who's also going to try and uh, take her on in the primary again. I think this bolsters her chances to continue to to retain that seat and uh, take him on in the primary. So, Don, assuming that that's true and Senator Wadsack makes it through the primary, this was a district Democrats had some hopes for last year. Does if she is the nominee again, does that does it matter to Democrats really who the who the nominee is in that district? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, one thing that, you know, from our perspective, doesn't do her any favors is how vocal she is and how extreme right wing she is for an area that you know, it was it was kind of a surprise that she even pulled this off. And so there is going to be a lot of focus from the left on this seat and getting it back and, um, you know, just making sure that this failed recall effort aside, that voters do understand how extreme her positions are and how out of step with the general voters she is. I would agree with that. And one of the things that, uh, you know, I've been talking to folks in the Tucson area business groups, if Vince Leach were to get back, I think that then the Democrat chance of taking over that seat is— If he wins the primary. If he wins the primary is a lot lower. Um, but because she's entrenched herself, she has support of the, the hard right, uh, more of the Trump-esque 
uh, community, um, it's going to be tough for her to lose in a primary, but it really does bolster the chances of uh, Democrats being able to pick up that seat. Mm. All right. So speaking of primaries, uh, both state parties uh, late last week opted into uh, state-run presidential preference election, separate from the the primaries that we're talking about. This is uh, in March, the presidential preference election. Jaime, the Republican uh, Maricopa County Republican Party had asked the state to basically do it itself and hand count and like the whole whole bit, one day voting, all that. Right. And the state party basically said, yeah, we're not we're, we can't do that. So like, are, are you surprised with, with how this all played out? No. And I'm also not surprised that now Jeff DeWitt, who's the chairman of the state party, is getting eviscerated. And a lot of the social media platforms, the the hard right social media platforms, but but it, it was a nonsensical proposal. For one thing, the hand counts are it's, it's such it's a ridiculous notion to be able to do that in one day, uh, and have the resources. You'd need thousands and thousands of volunteers. You also would need all types of infrastructure infrastructure that would cost millions and millions of dollars. If they were to opt out, the state party has. I think a total of about 200000 if they're lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not a ton of money in the bank. And so to be able to organize that, it's just they're not able to – they don't have the apparatus in order to do it. Now, state law does allow for counties to opt out if they so chose. But I think Jeff DeWitt, looking at the realities of the resources and what it would take to do it and, and not be a laughingstock, um, I think they realized they just couldn't uh, do that and do it correctly. Jeff DeWitt, as you say, is getting a lot of criticism online. This is a guy who worked for President Trump. Correct. <laughs> I mean, and he was the um, choice of a lot of the, the following Kelly Ward, who mm-hmm. was the handpicked successor, um, going to continue to push for the policies that the former President Trump espoused. But yeah, the, it's interesting how nowadays um, you can be a hardcore Republican one day and then you can be a rhino the, the very <laughs> next day. It, it just goes like that. Don, there had been some speculation that the Democrats might opt out of their primary given that the incumbent is running for re-election. Are you surprised that, that the Democrats are going forward? No, not at all. Um, I think that, you know, it, it's good for democracy that everything is going to proceed as it should. Um, I will admit that I was kind of rooting for the Maricopa County Republican Party's, you know, harebrained idea only because it would inevitably be such a disaster that maybe it would put to bed all of this talk of hand counts and single day. And we could finally, you know, at least put a stake in that particular slice of the election integrity conspiracy world. Um, but. I think everything is going to proceed properly and as it should, and and we'll have a a fair and democratic race. Jaime, how are you sizing up? I mean, obviously, we're months away from it. How are you sizing up the the GOP primary field in Arizona at the moment? Well, that's a big question because there's a lot of different— A lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts. But let's take the U.S. Senate race. I I think there's going to be a battle royale uh, as to who is the real— follower of Donald Trump. Is it Kerry Lake or is it Blake Masters? So that's going to be a very interesting fight. Uh, I think Blake Masters is going to have access to a lot more resources. But, really? Oh, absolutely. With uh, his connections with Peter Thiel and being able to draw down, he, he raised considerable amounts of money in the last race. Uh, but Kerry Lake, you know, has a very strong base. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I, I would say it's going to be a pretty hard-nosed fight. Would you expect former President Trump to be the presidential nominee here or to win the, the PPE here? 
Well, it's sure looking at it like it right now. I, I know there's a, um, a lot of folks that uh, are concerned about that, and, and they should be, because every poll that I've seen and every political analyst that I think that's worth their salt looks at what will happen down ticket. And we talk about the legislative races, for instance, and congressional races. Mm -hmm. It could have a very uh, hard impact on, for instance, um, Congressman Juan Suscomani down in uh, southern Arizona. Yeah, first-term Republican. First-term Republican, by all accounts, has been kind of a rising star in the uh, Republican circles, but also, you know, as a a congressman, he's been pretty effective. Um, More centrist in a lot of ways, but... If you have that at the top of the ticket, the Democrats still believe that that's a viable seat to take for that reason and that reason alone, is that he's very vulnerable because a lot of folks may not come out. If there's that dampening and the, the, the Trump and or Lake or whoever else is on the, the U.S. Senate um, head of the ticket. So that could hurt folks like Siskamani. Don, you're, you're nodding as Jaime is talking there. Yes, absolutely. That is a seat that, you know, Democrats are positively laser focused on um, and that dynamic of Siskomani, who has been gaining favor by being more centrist than it looks like the top of the ticket is going to be. That is going to create a constant, unrelenting conflict for him in his race of trying to stay centrist for the general, but still please the base. And that that discord is exactly what I think, opens the door wide open for the Democratic challenger. So, Don, as if we needed more evidence that Arizona is firmly in the swing state, battleground state uh, category, we saw this week that the uh, Biden-Harris campaign is including Arizona in a pretty significant uh, ad-buy during the first week of NFL football games. As we'll talk about uh, after the newscap, maybe not a lot of Arizona's going to be watching the Cardinals this year, but um, this seems like a—I mean, he's talking about jobs and the economy and sort of touting his accomplishments— is it fair to assume this is evidence of how how his campaign, how the Democrats see Arizona as as pretty important to his reelection odds? Yeah, absolutely. And it's definitely a show of strength on the port, part of the Biden campaign. You know, they're kind of putting it out there and flaunting that they have the money to, I'll say, splurge strategically this big, this early. But the fact that the Phoenix market is one of, you know, a half dozen uh, cities across the nation that they're doing this just speaks to that they understand that this will again. I think last time Arizona was the closest um, of the battleground mm-hmm. straits to go for Biden, and so they are absolutely looking at that. and And they have the luxury because of not having that you know kind of messy primary, filled primary of focusing on the general electorate this early. Yeah, early seems to be a phrase here because, I mean, we're in September. We're more than a year away from the election. And this is a, a $25 million ad buy. Well, I think it is a, definitely a show of strength um, by the Biden administration and his campaign. But also the, the other piece of this is that his numbers are very, very, very soft. And they, they understand that his um, standing, even amongst Democrats, isn't all that great either. So I think part of this, the calculus is trying to bolster his numbers, mm. um, not just with the, the general populace, but really with Democrats saying, look, we got to rally around this person and we can't be divided. Because you're going into a year where his numbers are soft and the, all indications are the economy is probably going to continue to go downwards. So that's not a good – historically, that's never been good for an incumbent president regardless of who might be, uh, even if it is Donald Trump. That that doesn't bode well for Joe Biden. So what he needs to do right now 
is try and keep his base together and try and pull up those numbers so that people have a sense of, well, here's somebody that we can rally behind and get behind, even if the economy is starting to go down. Don, is that the first job to sort of coalesce the base and, and rally the base and then maybe reach out to independents, maybe moderate Republicans, people who maybe are not super huge fans of the former president? Yeah, absolutely. You have to have your your PCs and your, you know, high score Democratic voters all in and and in enough to be public about their support for you and hopefully not have an attitude of like, well, I guess that's the nominee. I guess that's who we got. So yeah. kind of creating some enthusiasm is really important. And like I may said, a big part of starting this early. All right. We'll have to leave it there. Don Panich Thacker of Agave Strategy. Jaime Molera of Molera Alvarez. Thanks guys for coming in. I appreciate it. Thanks Thank for you. Having us. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.